Would you take your Bible with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read a few verses here, uh, but before uh, I read the text, I want to remind you about our Sunday evening service tonight. I'd love to have you come back at 6 p.m. Um, we are going to have the opportunity to hear from one of our international church planning partners uh, tonight, um, uh, Stefano and, uh, and Jenny. Uh, they are or have planted, it's, it's been a while since they planted, but they planted a church in Budrio, Italy. And so we have a pre-recorded Zoom call because it's going to be like 2 a.m. their time when we regather tonight. Um, and, uh, and I wasn't going to get them out of bed just to do a Zoom call. So uh, that's happening this evening. And then beforehand, uh, I think the weather's going to clear up. And, and if it does, we're going to grill out in the parking lot at 5 p.m., come back for that, uh, spend some time uh, uh, in, in fellowship with with your brothers and sisters in Christ tonight at 5 p.m., grilling in the parking lot, 6 p.m. Sunday evening service. And then I want to remind you too, next week, uh, we go back to one service. Um, praise the Lord. Um, we're going back to one service, uh, and that service will start at 9.30 a.m. So if you show up at 10.30 next week, um, you, you'll, you'll have missed the majority of everything. Um, so next Sunday, one service, 9.30 a.m. here. And if you'd like to pray beforehand with us uh, prior to going to two services, we had pre-service prayer. Um, I'd like to invite you, the worship team, myself, and a handful of others will be praying at 9.05 a.m. Come pray for, uh, pray for the service and, and pray for the body of Christ. And then, as always, coffee, snacks um, to go with your welcoming time will be available at 9.15. I'd encourage you to come a little bit early. Um, I know throughout the course of the last year we've said, come right on time, but for obvious reasons. but but now come a little bit early and enjoy the the enjoy welcoming um, one another um, uh, next Sunday and throughout this this summer. So we're in Ephesians chapter four this morning. We're continuing our uh, our our sermon series in understanding what it looks like to live out the gospel as God's as God's people. Then Ephesians chapter four verses eleven through sixteen. If you have a copy of uh, the hardback. Uh, black Bibles from the back. You'll find the sermon text on page 1061 this morning. Let me read this for us. Paul, to the church in Ephesus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love this text. This is one of my favorite texts in the New Testament because I think it is such a clear expression of what it looks like to be a church, of what it looks like to exist together in the local church with one another. Um, it is very simple. 
Um, and for that, I rejoice. I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words here embedded within chapter four of Ephesians because they relate to what it looks like to grow, to be a vibrant, healthy, living body uh, of believers fixed in a particular location for a particular purpose. Um, and the, so that's the principle we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about growing. And um, I. Uh, I think I'm qualified at this point after having six children to um, to speak about children. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to make an observation about about kids. Um, not a not a crazy observation, just a simple one. Um, kids don't grow themselves. Uh, I I can't make my kids grow. I can't make them grow physically, especially. Um, now I can do things to prevent it. But I can't actually make it happen. And what, what I mean, I can do things to prevent it. I mean, like I won't feed them, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to feed my children and I'm going to feed them adequately. Um, but uh, when we give our kids food, uh, they ingest that food. And then like at nighttime, I put my kids down to bed and usually they go to sleep. And, and when they do, uh, then that's contributing to their growth as well. I, I have a hand, I have a role in fueling the growth of my children, but I don't actually make them grow. I don't actually uh, make their legs and arms get longer and their skull or whatever happens. Um, all of those things. I, don't, I can't uh, will their biological growth. And actually, they can't either. Like, they can't make themselves grow. Their bodies just know what to do with the food that I give to them and the, and the, and the sleep that I require them to sleep. Um, and sometimes that's more for my sanity than, than for their growth, or that's what it feels like. But, but their bodies naturally do what is necessary to grow. Their growth isn't an act of the will. It's not an act of my will, and it's not an act of, of theirs. Um, if you have kids, you, they probably enjoy measuring themselves up against the wall. You make the mark on the wall, get out the tape measure, see how tall they are, and they enjoy telling everyone about how much they've grown. If they've, they're getting closer to, to mom or dad's height, uh, they grew an inch. But again, they didn't make themselves grow that inch. A healthy body, fueled by sleep and good food, grew, but it grew apart from their will. So the good news principle, again, that we want to consider this morning is growing, and especially from a spiritual sense. Like, what does it mean to grow spiritually? And over the course of the last three weeks, we've talked about, um, we've talked about several good news principles. Um, and all of these principles, we talked about serving and welcoming and fellowshipping. And uh, Jesus died so that we could engage in each of those things. Jesus came to earth and died to make us into servants. Jesus came and died so that we could welcome one another uh, as we have been welcomed into God's family as sons and daughters. And Jesus died so that we would have a common mission, so that we would have a fellowship with believers in a specific fixed location and a share in the gospel and taking that good news to the ends of the earth. These are the good news principles we've explored this morning, but you'll note that those three things, welcoming, serving, and uh, fellowshipping, all three of those things involve a direct act of the will. So for us, when we think about growing, all of a sudden there's a, there's a little bit of a different flavor to this. There's a little bit different flavor to this. 
And when I talk about an act of the will or a direct element of the will involved, what I mean is that you actually have to resolve when you wake up in the morning. Jesus has, through his sacrifice, has made you a servant. He has made you one who welcomes others into uh, into the family. He's made you those who have a common mission. And so it flows out of this identity that we have in, in Jesus. All of those things, though, if we are going to practice them, requires us, again, to wake up in the morning and resolve to do the thing that God has, has, has made us. If you wake up and don't consciously choose in the strength that God provides to be a welcoming person or to be a servant of others, you're not going to be. When you don't wake up and devote yourself to the fellowship of believers in the local church, like the way we've talked about um, over the last three weeks, it's just not going to happen. Uh, but this morning, again, I want to begin by acknowledging, just like my kids and your kids can't will their physical growth to come about, so you or I can't will our spiritual growth. So why are we talking about that? Why does Paul include Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 in our Bibles? Well, here, here's why. Because there's good news here. Because even though we can't bring it about, um, we can't bring about our own growth, the Bible gives us a place to be planted that will and does promise results. God, through his word, gives us a place to fix our feet, to plant ourselves, to bring that promises the results of growth in our lives. We're talking about that as we consider the text together. But so here's this morning's good news principle. Just like every week, we've, I've just given you a statement and then we've sort of unpacked it over the course of over the course of our time, um, here's this morning's good news principle as it relates to growing. Living healthy things grow. It is no different for Christians. Christians are given life through the work of Christ on the cross, and then Jesus gives Christians gifts so that they might grow up into godly maturity together. The effect is that the body of Christ, on display in the local church, develops and is built up in love. So growing as a good news principle is less about, again, what the gospel makes us, but growing is ongoing. It's something that is always being done um, through God's, uh, through the gifts that God provides to us um, so that we might work towards or grow towards a goal, a specific goal. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Here's the roadmap for us. I want to give you th uh, first an idea or a concept that kind of undergirds the statement that I said. And then uh, I want to look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, a little bit more in depth. And then we'll draw some specific application for us as, as a church. So the first thing that I want to relay to you is that Jesus Christ is the engine of our growth. Jesus Christ is the engine of our growth. So you, you probably drove here this morning in a vehicle that has an internal combustion engine. Um, and however that works, you started the engine this morning and the power it provided turned the wheels and all that stuff. Um, I, I don't quite understand it all. But, and then it transported you here. It moved you here. You put your hands on the steering wheel and your foot on the gas pedal and you moved here. Um, 
and, uh, and, 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 and now you're here. Jesus Christ is the engine of our growth. And, and what I mean is that we really need to take the next statement uh, and, and we really need to think about it as it relates to our spiritual life and our spiritual growth. Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, that's a, if you've been in church, that's not something that's new to you. But Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins. And that truth that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins is the engine of your life. It is the engine of your life. It makes everything go. A few weeks ago, I, was, I mentioned I had six kids. And so we drive a 12-passenger van. And so I was driving to Walmart and we're going up the hill and the van died. It just, it died. Um, fortunately it wasn't a big deal. There was an obstruction in the air intake caused the whole thing to shut down. Um, but whatever, it wasn't a big deal, but think about the language I just used. You're sort of driving up the hill and the vehicle died. Now it didn't really have life to begin with, but that's the way we talk about our cars, right? Like the engine it's running. Um, is it running or do you see what I'm saying? Like there's something like we want to anthropomorphized. We want to give it like human-like qualities uh, to, our, to our vehicle. And I th- said that it died. And, and the reala- realization is that the engine has life. It's moving. It's firing on all cylinders. There's things happening in our vehicle when it drives us. And when the Holy Spirit comes into, er, into our lives, when the Holy Spirit comes to us and breathes life into us. So you hear, hear that statement, Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sins, right? You hear that statement and then the Holy Spirit comes and breathes life into you so that you hear that and you respond to it. And the response to it is repentance to say, I am a sinner and I need to turn from that sin and to realize that the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus Christ is you believe that truth. But before the Holy Spirit breathes that life into us, we are dead. We are dead. The engine is not running. The engine is not firing. Nothing's happening. Paul, and if if you just go back a couple chapters here in Ephesians to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says as much. He says in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. And, And then, and then, Paul says in verses 4 and 5, he says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Think about this as like turning the car on. The engine is now running. Because of God's richness in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he brings us to life. And when we hear who Jesus is and what he's done and respond, it's like the engine start. And we know this to be true about living things. When we have life, growth happens. When we have life, growth happens. North Dakota is such a great place to live, especially this time of year, because we see so much life. We see uh, it rained, and then we see the gr- green grass coming up, and we see the buds on the trees, and we see the crabapple trees across the street, and we see uh, the, the little baby birds, and every, it's all so wonderful, isn't it? Um, and we see it all come to life after what it appears to be death, the death of winter and the death that we feel in our souls because of the winter. But 
Like the, but it all comes to life and we feel so much more optimistic about the world around us. Healthy things grow. And for Christians, what drives that growth, the engine of that growth is Jesus Christ. The engine of that growth is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gives us spiritual life and gives us everything we need for spiritual growth. Um, again, I want to just think about your physical existence. These, these, this is why Paul uses this language, is because we have a direct parable, a, a way to see it in the world around us. Our physical existence, if we think all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, where God created everything, when he created man, when he created woman, when, when he created Adam in the garden, he forms Adam out of the dust, and then what does he do? He breathes life into Adam's nostrils. He breathes into him life. And just like God breathed life into physical life into Adam's nostrils, so he breathes spiritual life into us through the Holy Spirit. And then, and then he, he doesn't just set it and forget it. He you, he, he takes it and he sustains it and he sustains it for purpose. But, but Jesus Christ, who is God, then in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, we're told that Jesus Christ, who created everything, then he holds it all together. Jesus Christ isn't just out there like uninvolved in your world. He is deeply involved because apart from him, you would fall apart in this very moment. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Through Jesus Christ, God created everything, and it remains in existence because he decides it will. Jesus holds us together right now. The building blocks of life that make you up right now are being held together because Jesus decides that they will. The reason we don't vaporize or fall over dead or just cease to exist is because Jesus wills that we will continue in this physical life that he created and that he sustained. And again, what's true about your physical life is true about your spiritual life. Spiritual life comes to you because of Jesus' work on the cross. And you're spiritually dead because of your sin. But through Jesus' death, that sin is paid for. And then life can come to you. God doesn't just breathe life into us like he breathed life into Adam and send him on his merry way. God maintained relationship with Adam. He designed him and held him together in order that Adam would have ongoing relationship with God. And God doesn't just breathe life then into us, spiritual life into us through the Holy Spirit and then send us on our merry way. He breathed spiritual life into us so that we might have relationship with one another, so that we might love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourselves. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Every single believer, every individual who calls upon the name of the Lord, who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord, every single person who believes and repents of their sin and believes that Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sin, every single person receives the Holy Spirit as a gift from God and a gift from Jesus Christ. 
And that Holy Spirit then takes up residence in us, sustaining our spiritual life and giving us spiritual growth. And it's only possible because of the work of Jesus. It's only possible because of the shed blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the engine of our spiritual growth. And without him, we would remain spiritually stationary because we would be spiritually dead. But how do we, how do we define So I'm using this word a lot, like spiritual growth. How do we define our spiritual growth? What does that look like? What, what does it mean? And that's what this text is about and how this text becomes so helpful for us. So uh, the spiritual growth and the way that we want to define it is right at the heart of Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Look with me at verse 13 in particular. Because this is going to show us what, uh, what growth looks like. Until we, Paul says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If we're going to boil that down, if we're going to boil all of those words down, you're like, okay, that's a thing. But what Paul is saying is that our growth is marked by growing to be like Jesus, to become like Jesus. And I think that he's saying this in sort of three different ways, and they're all kind of amounting to that, to grow to be like Jesus. So look at those three things he says. He says, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the first one. To mature manhood, that's the second one. And the third one is to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the third one. So the, when he says the unity of faith of the knowledge of Son of God. Again, this is faith is the thing that joins us to, to Christ. It's the thing that unites us to Jesus himself. It's the belief that we have in our hearts and the truth that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. And faith is then uh, that, that linking element that puts us uh, in connection with Jesus Christ. And if, if we believers in this room are all connected to the person of Jesus Christ by faith, then we are all connected to one another. We are all connected to one another. This is the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God. And then he says that we will attain to mature manhood. So growth has a goal. Gro- growth has a goal, and that goal is maturity. Immaturity, when we think about immaturity, we think about the, uh, just a lack of growth, right? We think about a lack of growth. And spiritual maturity is marked by a life that is like Jesus. And Paul uses the word manhood here. He says mature manhood uh, because Jesus was the perfect man. Jesus was untainted by sin. Jesus was the perfect human. He, he came. There was no, nothing that was, that was marring him or polluting him. He was perfect. He never sinned and he was not sinful. And so moving towards maturity is putting off sin and putting on Christ. And then Paul says that we would attain to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Jesus Christ being the perfect model for what we are growing into is the goal. Our spiritual dimensions should look like his. The emphasis that he placed, 
are the, are, should be our emphases as well. We're working together towards this in a complete sense. So why does it matter? Why does Paul embed this here in verse 13? Um, I think there's lots of answers to that question, why this matters, why we're growing towards mature manhood, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and, and, uh, and, and uh, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. I think there's a lot of reasons why. But what Paul highlights here is what we should highlight as well. And that's found in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So to be like Jesus is to not be spiritually childlike, to be well-formed and developed spiritually. Children grow into maturity, but they are not mature. Those who are spiritually childlike, Paul says, are susceptible to three things here. He says they're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by deceitful, or excuse me, craftiness in deceitful schemes. So each of these has, a, I think, a direct parallel to the rest of the New Testament. So when, when Paul says every wind of doctrine, this is Paul's way of saying that, uh, that we would not compromise the gospel Maturity does not compromise the good news of Jesus Christ in this statement, Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of sins. The early church was always under attack. The early church was always under attack. Like every single book, there's an allusion to this. Um, they're, they, they're, people wanted to add to or subtract from the gospel. They would add things like, circumcision, and they would change the statement to say, Jesus died, and you must be circumcised for the forgiveness of your sins. But that's not, that's not true. Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the pure gospel. They would add things like special knowledge. They'd say, like, Jesus died, and you must know what we know to be forgiven of your sins. Again, in addition. And many in the early church bought into these things, but Paul says, don't do it. Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins, and that's all you need to be saved. The second thing Paul mentions here, the second threat is human cunning. And, and, uh, and people come up with all sorts of attacks on Christianity. We know this to be true in the 21st century in, in America. All sorts of attacks on the church and the existence of God and on Christianity and on God himself. And what these ultimately amount to is uh, a message of justify yourself. What these ultimately amount to is rather than running to Jesus to be justified, we can justify ourselves. Because the message in, in human cunning is, uh, you're not really that bad. Like, uh, if you consider everyone else in this room, I think you're pretty good overall. You're doing the right thing most of the time. Like, if we put it in the balance, you'd come out on top, I think. So what do you need forgiveness of sins for? There's nothing wrong with you. That's human cunning. There is no spiritual life in people who perpetuate this narrative and no spiritual help in their assertions. The final thing here that Paul says that maturity is for is to identify and reject craftiness 
and deceitful schemes. Um, Satan is the deceiver. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, he is described as the most crafty. And I think that's why Paul chooses this word here. Because Satan attempts to use your sin, just like the world will say, you're not that bad. Satan will say, you're really that bad. And do you think that a little bit of blood shed by a man 2,000 years ago can take care of your sin? Do you think that what you've done, if God really examined you, he'd be like, that's fine. The reality here is that Satan is deceiving and he's out to accuse. He's out to uh, tell you that your sin is too great to be paid for by Jesus and that you're outside of God's family. But this is not true. This is not the reality. So spiritual life that is mature and is growing into maturity identifies these three things and rejects them. It identifies these three things and rejects them. It rejects uh, every wind of doctrine, adding to, subtracting from the gospel. It, it rejects human cunning and it's saying, you're okay, it'll be fine. And it rejects the idea or the accusations that come from Satan and the craftiness and deceitful schemes. We who are growing in Christ-likeness are not tossed to and fro like the children described here, spiritual children, but uh, by every wind of doctrine and untethered anchorless in the middle of the ocean, but rather we are like a ship, safe in harbor, in calm waters. So the question is, so what? And the beauty of this text is that it gives us the so what on the front and the back. It gives us the so what in verse 11 and then towards the end in verses 15, 11 and 12 and then verses 15 through 16. If we ask the question, what does this mean for us? There are two things that the text gives us. And the first is this. Jesus gives us everything that we need to be like him and build up the church. Jesus gives everything that we need, everything that you need, and everything that I need to be like him and to build up the church. The first and most important thing that Jesus gives to us is he sends his Holy Spirit. Again, we talked about this a moment ago. He dwells in everyone who has repented and believed that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. This... The Holy Spirit takes up a residence in each and every one of us. And that's the first and most important thing that we need. And Jesus gives it freely. But, but then, the two things that Paul identifies here in this text is, uh, are found in verses 11 and 12. And the things that he identifies here are the Word of God written and the Word of God proclaimed. The word of God written and the word of God proclaimed. If you look at verse 11, um, what Paul does here is he, he gives us four offices, what we would call offices. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, teachers. Now, an office isn't a title to be earned, but a role to be filled. Um, so, not going into great detail here, but the First two are, are offices or roles that are no longer in effect, and then the next two are offices that are in effect. So, 
Um, we benefit from all of them. Though. The word of God written by the apostles and the prophets. These are, this is the very word of God that we look at this morning. We see the word of God written and through uh, these offices and these men who faithfully filled these, um, we see what's recorded in scripture, the written word. And then he gives evangelists. We benefit from those in our midst who are evangelists because they are gifted to preach the gospel, to proclaim the word. And then the proclamation of the word comes through shepherds, teachers as well, because they are God-appointed leaders of the church to, uh, to give sp- and are given specific marching orders on how to lead. Um, and those marching orders come throughout the New Testament. And this is part of the proclaimed word as well. What does it look like to live the gospel? What does it look like to proclaim the gospel with all of our lives? And so we look to those who fill those roles, who currently fill the roles as gifts given by Jesus to the church to be equipped for the work of ministry. Now, I want you to look at the beginning of verse 12. Look down in your Bibles at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I'm a pastor, and so that's my role, the shepherd teacher office there that's given. That's my job description. This is the office that I, I fill. And I'm called by God, along with Mark and Blaze, who are the elders here at Buffalo City Church, um, to, uh, to then do what is, what is stated in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You, you need to note here who's responsible for the work of the local church. Who's responsible to do the ministry? It is, Paul says, the saints. It's all of you who make up the local church. It's not the pastor, the elders, the super Christians who do the work. It's all the saints. Everyone who has believed that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of sins and has repented of their sin and has been had life breathed into you by the Holy Spirit. Every single Christian is responsible within the local church to do the work of ministry. Saints aren't super Christians. Saints are sinners saved by grace through faith. I'm not equipped to do that. I don't know how to do that. That's why these four offices exist. That's why the written word and the word proclaimed exist. That's why... Jesus set the church up and gifted the church in the way that he does. And he gave you the Holy Spirit. Every single man, woman, boy and girl who is in Christ is capable and is equipped to do the work of ministry in the local church. So you're, you're actually being equipped right now. That's what this is about. That's part of Sunday morning congregational gathering of the saints is to be equipped for the work of ministry. And that's ongoing work where we all grow together towards maturity. So that the threats posed by the flesh, by the devil, by the world, all of those things might be discerned and rejected. These are the gifts of Jesus Christ that we grow to be more like him. And remember I said earlier that God gives us a place to be planted that promises results. This is it. Under the word of God preached and and under the written word of God. Environments with other church members and believers who are passionate about knowing God and his son Jesus Christ through his word. 
And then we're given another way here, because as we grow up into maturity, then there's a specific, uh, there's a specific outworking of what it looks like as God's people to, uh, to be uh, equipped and to be doing the work of ministry. And that's found in verse 15. When we are equipped, we build up the body by doing one thing specifically, by speaking truth in love. Now, there's a phrase that gets hijacked sometimes. Like when they say, speak the truth in love, sort of what you're saying in some instances is just like, say what's necessary, but be kind. But Paul has something more specific in mind here. He's referring back to uh, those three things that we might be caught up in, that we need to discern together as a body, the human cunning. He's referring back to every wind of doctrine. He's referring back to the craftiness and deceitful schemes that could come to us and and deceive us or derail us as a church. The the members, the, the body of Christ is designed to speak truth in love so that won't happen. This is why God gives us his Holy Spirit and why he gives gifts to the church in order that we would maintain our integrity and our witness in our community. So to be like Jesus is to self-sacrificially speak the truth of the gospel into every situation. And look at verse 16, because the results are incredible. He says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Again, this is talking about the local church. This is talking about us. Just like this church in Ephesus, Buffalo City Church in Jamestown, North Dakota, this is the same thing. We are to be built up in love when everything is firing on all cylinders, when Jesus Christ is our engine, the engine of our spiritual life and growth. In a healthy church, all Christians devote themselves to being equipped so that they would build up the church by speaking truth and love. We want to be a body that's well-formed. We want to be a body that grows together, not separately, not hands that are 35 years old and feet that are 65 years old and eyebrows that are 12 years old. We, we all, hands that function as hands and knees that function as knees and eyebrows that are off doing their own thing. Each part working properly. We are members of a body. The metaphor is parts of a body. The metaphor is growth. The metaphor is seeing maturity come about as a body. Friends, we cannot will our own growth as individuals or as a church. But through the gifts Jesus gives, the Holy Spirit in his word preached, proclaimed, and written, we are fueled and we will grow. Jesus Christ gives spiritual life and Jesus Christ drives our spiritual growth. We're given the word of God, yielding a harvest in us as it is passed on to us by faithful proclaimers of the word. And we're given each other. We're given each other to be equipped so that we would build one another up by speaking truth and love. People who make up Buffalo City Church are here for you and are here to grow together with you. We're united with Christ in this place and 
Therefore, we are united with one another so that we might grow to be more like Jesus, building one another up in love. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the design here that's so evident in Ephesians chapter 4. God, we thank you for the way that you are working in us. God, would you continue to do so? God, would we be compelled this week to put ourselves under the word of God, both in written form and proclaimed, so that we might be equipped to do the work of ministry, so that we might be equipped to identify and discern the schemes and the cunning and and the winds of doctrine that blow around us. May we apply the truth of the gospel in every situation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.